DiscerningHearts.com presents Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. He has led over 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality nationwide. He is the author of numerous books, including Crossing the Desert, on which this series is based. Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Deacon Keating. Thank you. Over the last several segments, we've been taking a look at your book, Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion. And it is so important during the period of Lent that we don't get too absorbed in the to-do list that we set for ourselves during that time, isn't it? Right. It becomes another series of failures that we've attempted. Lent can be sort of like a religious New Year's Day where we make all these resolutions. And then uh, because our list is so formidable, we fail at them. And then once we fail, human nature takes over and we say, well, since I've failed, I guess I, I won't even try anymore. And then we give up the whole journey. So no, it's not a list of to-do items. Again, it's more of this stance of making yourself available to be affected by God. I mean, that's all Lent is. That's why God drove uh, the prophets and took Moses and Jesus himself went to the desert because it renders us more available to be affected by God. The desert is the symbol of complete dependency and neediness and all the props that we have are stripped from us. And we get to the core, we get to what is most basic in us, and that is what holds us in existence. And what holds us in existence is our deep being in God. Without this connection to God's love, we would not exist at all, obviously, as Genesis tells us. So Lent is not adding up what we are to do and events that we are to attend. These can be helpful, but their helpfulness is measured only upon the standard of whether these events and these lists that we have are actually making us more available to God's mercy. When we're more available to God's mercy, are we able to see more clearly the temptations that are in front of us? Yes, I mean, the more we allow ourselves to be vulnerable before God, then the more our consciousness is freed from the games and the tricks that we play, the defense mechanisms that we use to hide what we are either ashamed of or guilty of, or unable to confront at this particular time in our life because we don't want to enter the change or the conversion that is necessary for us. So a lot of us, during the course of our days, we keep what is most crucial for us to think about, we keep that pushed into the subconscious. And as we noted before, I believe that this is the most dangerous of all uh, activities, not only on the psychological level, but on the spiritual level, because that which is hidden can easily be, be manipulated by Satan. Satan doesn't know what to do when everything is thrown into the light. Satan can only really attack us 
when we are hiding things about ourselves from ourselves. Certainly, we're not talking about public confession. We're talking about hiding the truth of our lives, hiding that from ourselves. And then Satan can use that to pummel our self-esteem and, and beat us up spiritually and uh, negate any sense of uh, self-love, uh, legitimate self-love and consolation because we have not brought to the light that which is necessary. And what's necessary to bring to the light is that which is a stumbling block to our intimacy with Christ, namely sin. Or in the case of uh, psychology, some levels of pathology, although certainly grace can get through our pathologies and our neuroses. And sometimes people who are neurotic or in some other ways affectively suffering, emotionally suffering, Sometimes God's grace gets through quite powerfully indeed, and uh, it's not a stumbling block at all. The main stumbling block is sin, and so all of that must come to the light during Lent, and that's where we get our liberation from at Easter. Everything that we have hidden is now coming to the light. Everything that is sin in us is now being forgiven, and then on Easter, we rise with Christ and the glory of Christ's victory over death. Because sin is just dead and dying things. That's all sin is. We keep running from God and trying to uh, sustain ourselves by way of our ego. And that's a recipe for death. Uh, we will die to our true being and to our true glory. And uh, we only come to the true glory of the human being when we give those sins over to God and then in Christ, we rise to the beauty of being in communion with God. I'm really struck when you use the term light, bringing it essentially to the light of Christ, those sins that we have, because during Lent, it's a time of purification and enlightenment, particularly as outlined in the rites of a Christian initiation for adults, those people who are going through the conversion processed, going through this period where they're turning their lives over to Christ. So for them, the church deems this period of Lent a time of purification and enlightenment. But it's really true for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, the reason we have the scrutinies as public during the RCIA process is so that we can all join with these uh, men and women who are entering our church. We can join with them in uh, naming the truth about ourselves, that whole sense of the scrutinies where the truth arises, and in the power of Christ, we accept, we embrace the truth, not unto some condemnation, but unto conversion. We always embrace the truth unto conversion. If we just embrace the truth unto condemnation, then that's a form of spiritual pathology. It, it's impotent, it's lifeless, there's nothing there for us. Okay, so we name our sins, and we sort of treasure them in the naming of them, and we feel bad about ourselves, and we feel guilty, and we... We get a, a warped sort of consolation from that. That's not the point. The point is to name them, bring them to the light, and forget them. And begin the fullness of new life in Christ. And the fullness of new life in Christ is just ordering the ego toward the needs of the other. That's the great turnaround. Ordering our mind and our affections, no longer toward the self, but toward the other. And of course, we're doing this in the power of Christ. We can't do it without him. That's why we call it salvation. Because through his grace, through the mystery of his life, his death, and his resurrection, through that great mystery, he moves us with our free yes. 
He moves us out of the self toward the interests of others. Others become more fascinating to us than, than ourselves after we meet Jesus. And the, the, particularly the poverty of others, the sickness of others, the neediness of others. In other words, we have grown a heart of compassion by way of Jesus Christ. And so we, we might have been callous at one point because we were so fearful and we lived only for ourselves. But now in Christ, because he conquers death, the death of our bodies and the death of sin, we are no longer fearful. Fear no longer binds us. We are living in the light. And when you live in the light, you see the other. That's what the light does. The light shows you the poor and the sick and those who are still in sin who need to be evangelized. And so it's this great movement out of the self and then deeply led into the interest of others. What's in your interest? The converted person asks. Previously, we just kept saying, what's in my own interest? But now we ask, what's in your interest? What's best for you? That's how we know we have begun to experience the resurrection and the ascension, because that question is in our heart. What's in your best interest? And we're sort of fed up with the, the puniness of ourselves. And Christ has shown us the great expansiveness of life, which is taking care of others and being fascinated with God and uh, having a vision that looks out toward creation. And he expands our soul that way. That's, the, that's where ecstasy comes from. Often when we speak of the light of truth, we don't always connect it with the term that I think has developed, unfortunately, more negative connotations than connotations of the good. And I'm thinking of morality. Um, what is morally evil? You know, I think a lot of times when people think of morality, they think of it as a negative or a shame, as opposed to there is something really quite glorious in true morality, isn't there? Yes, of course. The whole sense of morality is just that you're coming into this freedom of being a human being who has been found by Christ. To be moral is to be free, and to be immoral is to be chained. And the reason that people like to cast negative aspersions on morality is because they, they love their sins. Since they love their sins, they're threatened by the light. The light is not the beginning of liberation. The light is the end of their fun. The light is the diminishment of their egocentric pleasures. And so they don't welcome the church. They don't welcome the evangelical message. They hate priests. They hate the church. They hate the mass because all of these are signs of liberation for them. And they don't want to be liberated. They keep living in that small, puny world where when stress gets too great, they run into their favorite sins. They hide in their favorite sins. Instead of hiding in the wounds of Christ, in the mystery of, of the passion, and the mystery of salvation upon the cross, where the great mystics talked about hiding in the wounds of Christ, we hide in our sins because the stress level is so great that we go back to our habitual behaviors of consolation. And our habitual behaviors of consolation, whether they're sinful or virtuous, are serving a particular need for those who have yet to come to the light, it's serving the need of assuaging a stress, maybe fear, maybe some difficulty, maybe some suffering, and they keep running into the sin like a, I don't know, like vermin runs into their hole, like a rat runs into a rat hole. They go back into it to, to sort of save themselves. 
so that uh, the light can't see them or find them. And so they, they live in this dark world where they keep returning to their sin over and over again. Whereas the person who has allowed the light to come in, they go toward the wounds of Christ. They never take their eyes off the mystery of self-giving. They never take their eyes off the mystery of loving the other. And slowly but surely, Jesus pulls them out of this whole habit of hiding in sin. And he begins to say, come and hide in this better place. Hide in the mystery of giving yourself over to others. Hide in the mystery of love of neighbor. And this is where Christian humility is born. Humility is thinking about the other and not thinking about yourself, so you don't thrust yourself into the center. This is why it's another form of hiding, but it's a healthy form of hiding, whereas sin is a very pathological form of hiding, where the self is everything. Christ pulls you out of that sin, but you are still to hide, so to speak, in metaphorical language. You're hiding in the service that you give to others. You're hiding in the humility that is now the fruit of your relationship with Jesus. It's not about you. You don't care about you. Remember, again, in the saints, they're always asking, how can I help you? What interest can I serve of yours? So obviously the focus is not on the self. So you have these people who are not yet ready to experience resurrection because it means the leaving of the selfishness behind. And the selfishness is all that they have known. And so the pastoral ministry of the church is supposed to be that grace-filled coaxing relationship that tries to coax people out of their hiding holes, coax them out of the capital sins, coax them out of the seven deadly sins and into the light. And that's why people give their lives to the priesthood or to some other specific form of ministry. We'll return in just a moment to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from thee. From the malignant enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me, and bid me come to thee, that with thy saints I may praise thee, forever and ever. Amen. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry. 
and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you, and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. A teaching of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts, but I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we prophesy partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially. Then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. So faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We now return to Crossing the Desert, Let and Conversion, with Deacon James Keating. In Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion, you have a section called Waiting in the Desert. And from what you've just talked about, particularly concerning temptations and recognizing our sins, it really does help us to recall, doesn't it, that time when Jesus was waiting in the desert. And the 40 days and 40 nights and and all that, again, the allusions back to Old Testament understandings of the desert and um, the sense of the desert, the sense of absolute and total dependency on God, moving us away from that which is habitually disappointing, which is some kind of uh, absolute dependency on the self. We may not recognize it, but it's, it's absolutely disappointing. And they say in the understanding of alcoholism, it's like when you hit bottom, you realize how little and how tiny your world was. And you almost want to pray in intercessory prayer, oh Lord, either 
give me a breakdown or give me a breakthrough because I'm, I'm just stuck in this world where I think I'm dependent upon myself, that I'm in control. And so we want to move people into the desert of Lent so that there is this vulnerability, this openness, this simplicity to stop resisting the truth of God's desire to care for you. Just stop it. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. It has nothing to do with Christian anthropology, the meaning of human life. You're thwarting who God is. Again, it would be like a child who doesn't let their parents buy food and feed them or clothe them or house them. This is somehow hideously unnatural. Why would a child want to live outside in the front lawn of their house or in the streets when their parents are eager and ready to sacrifice and give them a place for shelter and clothing and food and education and they keep refusing it? Well, analogically and spiritually, this is what we go through in sin. We have to stop getting in the way of God being God. God really does want to give us the best. He's preparing the best. The best is intimacy with himself. This Lent, receive that. That's the gift he wants to give in the desert. He doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to do any type of masochistic penances. He wants us to receive this gift he wants to give us in the desert. He has wooed us to the desert. Just like the bride and the bridegroom need this honeymoon time. Now, receive the gift of the one who has called you. There will be accompanying suffering. And the suffering is all because our interest in our, our sin is, is dissipating. And that's a pain. But he's not making you suffer. All he's doing is bestowing his love on you. The reason you're suffering is because you have loved wrongly for the last 20 or 30 years. It's not God making you suffer during Lent. You're suffering because you have chosen unwisely to love that which is beneath your dignity. And now he wants to restore you. So let him come and let him give what he wants to give himself. Be receptive to that gift, even if it takes 40 days or 40 years, but be receptive. Is it too simplistic to say for us, when we are in this desert, unlike Jesus who was alone facing temptations, we are not alone if we allow him to accompany us? Well, no, he's right there with us. And again, it's part of the struggle, though, to recognize that. If you recognize that Jesus is with you during this Lent, then all of those attachments that need to go, all of those attachments are going to be disentangled much easier. Uh, in the desert, of course, the Father was with Jesus, and Jesus is always accompanying us, aiming us toward the Father. He wants us to go to the source of life. He wants to always point us into that generating source of the love between himself and the Father, as carried in the Spirit. He's always trying, if we can use that word, to wake us up or awaken us to this great reality that we keep resisting. We were destined to share in Jesus Christ a life of participation in the Trinity. 
in the love between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, and the Spirit that is that love. We were destined to participate in that. And Jesus is always trying to get us, the Father, through Jesus and in the Spirit, always trying to call his people home. So, yes, we're in the desert, but rightly said, we're never alone. And it's a very, very short turn of the will and the mind and the affections within our soul that allows Christ to assist us in Lent. We just have to make a little turn of the heart to cry out to Jesus, to cry out to the Spirit to come and help us in whatever struggle we have during these 40 days so that he can purify us, especially through the Sacrament of Reconciliation. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Deacon Keating. Any final thoughts on this particular segment? We just have to continue in hope. There is nobody who is beyond the reach of the grace of God. And whatever sin you hate the most that you have committed, Jesus loves you an infinite time beyond that which you think is blocking you from his love. So give him over that which you are most ashamed of, most embarrassed of, that sin which is most grave. And he will take it and he will replace it not with condemnation, but only mercy and love. Thank you, Deacon Keating. Thank you. You've been listening to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app available at the Apple App and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating.